Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the 382nd show of ROI, and our guest for today is Dr. George Darmany former Governor General of the General Society of the Mayflower Descendants, who is going to talk to us about the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Terry Toplin. The show's song is titled Kayla's Theme, which is written and performed by Mark Zatzatel. Our producer and engineer is, as always, Mr. David Baker. This is the opening segment of our show called Farouk Danarin. And today we're going to be talking about the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower with Dr. George Garmini, former Governor General of the General Society of the Mayflower Descendants. Welcome to the show, George. Thank you very much. It's a privilege to, uh, to uh, participate. So I don't know how many of us really have any sense of the Mayflower, so I thought it might be good to start out with just a little background information about how the Mayflower voyage came to be, and perhaps as important, how the passengers came to be on the ship. Sure, sure. Uh, it's important to recognize that there were two groups of passengers on the uh, on the ship, which is uh, important to uh, to the story. But the group that is so well known was the group that uh, that had uh, that were separatists. These were people who were who uh, separated from the Church of England uh, and then spent twelve years in Holland. Uh, living uh, living in a place where they could uh, they could practice their their, their own religion, but uh, they found uh, during their time in Holland that uh, that they were gradually becoming less and less English, uh, and they they wanted to be English, but they didn't want to deal with the Church of England. So the separatists began to look for a way to uh, to, to leave Holland, and ultimately they decided to uh, to sail to, to the New World. Uh, they couldn't quite afford to do it on their own. They did everything they could uh, to, to, to uh, come up with the money themselves, but they couldn't. They bought a ship called the Speedwell uh, and planned to sail along with another vessel called the Mayflower, and the Mayflower was going to bring other settlers who were who were paying, paying passengers who would help to pay the, the way for everybody. Uh, unfortunately, the Speedwell was not seaworthy, and after multiple uh, multiple attempts to sail, uh, it was decided to cram everyone they could into the Mayflower. So you had both groups uh, living together in the Mayflower uh, coming across the Atlanta, Atlantic in 1620 at the height of the hurricane season. Uh, they arrived uh, in, in November on Cape Cod and then spent the next month uh, finding their, their, their location for their permanent colony there in Plymouth. Okay. Uh, could you explain to our listeners um, what was the Anglican Church in England like at the time that pretty much forced uh, members of the Mayflower to want to pull away from that church, but why did they also want to keep their English heritage? It's it's such a com convoluted story. Uh, well, the Anglican Church at that time was uh, was clearly an arm of, the, of, of royal power. Uh, it, uh, it had only been... Uh, Established during the, the the reign of King Henry VIII, 
uh, as a part of his marital difficulties that he couldn't get uh, get marriages annulled by the Pope, and so uh, so uh, so he broke free from the from the Roman Catholic Church. But many of the, uh, the 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 rituals and many of the activities of the the Anglican Church at that time uh, were very similar to, to the Roman Catholic Church and the uh, uh, the, the the pilgrims and and other separatists and uh, and people who. Uh, who, who uh, had problems with the church felt that uh, that it wasn't far enough from from Roman Catholicism, and uh, and they they resented the the, the trappings of uh, of, uh, of Catholicism. So uh, uh, the the separatists uh, felt that the only way to deal with this was to break completely from the uh, uh, fr- from the church because they felt that the Anglican Church simply could not be uh, couldn't couldn't be reformed, uh, and they, in doing that uh, they they. Basically, were committing. Uh, uh, they, they became traitors to the King of England, and and so they they could be fined, uh, they could be thrown in jail, and some people, not of the pilgrims, but obviously, but but some people were even even killed for uh, for uh, breaking uh, loose from from the Church of England. I uh, they could practice pretty much whatever religion they wanted in the Netherlands, uh, and uh, I and they were very free to do that. The problem was that in the Netherlands, uh, social culture was so so very free and easy that uh, that they found their their children were were slowly becoming Dutch, uh, and uh, uh-huh. and it was a, it was a, there was it was so liberal for them that they uh, that they they were losing the culture that they had, and uh, and they did wish to continue speaking English. They wanted to have the 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 calendar as it was in England because. Uh, the, the English uh, were, were on uh, an older form of the calendar than the rest of Europe. And there were all kinds of reasons that uh, that separated them from uh, from from their cultural roots when they were in the Netherlands. Okay. All right. Um, so my question is: I, I've had the uh, the privilege of being on an early modern ship, uh, yeah. an ocean going vessel, and quite <laughs> frankly, the idea of going. 50 miles away from the coast, let alone, you know, several thousand miles across the ocean in that was terrifying. Um, it's, oh my God, the the thing is a rowboat. I mean, it's about four feet long and six feet wide. I mean, you know, the idea of being in a storm and then you talk about these guys sailing across in hurricane season. So that's double crazy from my point of view. So, um, so my question is, do we have, um, diary entries or, or other kinds of written evidence that, that tell us what that trip was like? Because I don't think most of us in a modern sense can even begin to comprehend what that trip was. You and I cannot fathom what that trip must've been like. And the only people who uh, from our generation, who probably would have any sense of it, were the sailors who came across uh, with the Mayflower II in 1957, and I believe the last of them just passed away within the last year. So, so those po- folks are not there, but they actually they, they, they wrote about their their expedition. They, however, were smarter to do it in the middle of hurricane season. Uh, William Bradford wrote a a, a lengthy journal, uh, and uh, and he describes in some detail the events of of the crossing. So, so we do have a, a, a contemporary uh, a story of, of, of the crossing. Uh, and you know, at one point, uh, the storm was so bad it cracked one of the beams, 
and, and they were afraid they were just going to go down in the, in the ocean at that point. Uh, uh, but they had a, a sort of a large jack they were planning to use for uh, for construction, and they put the jack up and stabilized the, the ship. But you can imagine, it's, it's I, well, no, we can't imagine. It really is beyond us, I think, to uh, understand uh, uh, how how desperate they must have been to make that trip. I could have dealt with a liberal society and learning Flemish instead of crossing the ocean. <laughs> oh, yeah. <in> <laughs> that big. I could have, you know, I could have changed. Yeah. Uh, a, a question, uh, George. Okay, what was the relationship? Are these uh, individuals, I mean, obviously they follow the same faith, but is it a lot of family? Is it lifelong friends? I mean, to migrate from England and then spend um, a good many years in Holland, and then all of the uh, unity, and I know again, it's it's they're practicing their beliefs, but to do that to get into a floating matchbox to go across the ocean into a world that they don't have a clue what's ahead of them. What was the makeup of the body who decided to take this venture? The, you know, the best uh, comparison I can make it would be like a, like a small congregation. I uh, there were about fifty of them who were all from that. Uh, uh, there, there had been some intermarriage, but actually, there, uh, uh, the, the, it was it was a collection of families. And I think the important thing is that they brought their families with them. Other people who settled Jamestown and Jane Augustine and other places came with the men as adventurers of some sort. But the Pilgrims brought their families. They brought the children. They brought the wives. There were there were two births on board uh, during the crossing. Uh, so so you know they 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 very definitely brought families. And so did the people who joined them. I, the, the, the common term that has been used is that the, the uh, church members uh, fit into the group called the saints, and the others were called the strangers. The truth is they didn't really use those terms, but, uh, but the, the ones who joined them, the, 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 the adventurers from, uh, from, uh, from London and so forth, uh, were, were not uh, religious separatists. Uh, they obviously were willing to, to deal with, with a large separatist group, but presumably they were Anglicans. I, they, they, these were not people who had, who had left for, for religious purposes. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the second segment of our show, which is referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. George uh, Garmany, former Governor General of the General Society of Mayflower Descendants, and we're talking about the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower. Our history buff for today's show is Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. Uh, Terry, as someone who is very interested in the topic, uh, you get the first question. 
Well, thank you. Yes, George. Yeah, I just actually recently, as of last year, discovered that I was a Mayflower descendant uh, when I was researching the American Revolutionary War uh, ancestors. And when I started looking at the female line, I discovered that uh, it took me straight to uh, John Holland and then to Richard Warren. So uh, my question has to do with how many descendants do you think there are today of the Mayflower? And was there one passenger who perhaps has more descendants than the others? <laughs> well, that's, um, uh, that's a... We we know. Let, let me take your second question first, uh, uh, because I can I can give you some answers uh, on that. Many of these uh, uh, of these people had very large families, uh, and uh, in fact, uh, one of your your ancestors, uh, uh, Richard Warren, had had lots of uh, lots of family uh, and uh, a number of daughters. So did John Howland, by the way. John Howland is one of the. Uh, the more prolific of the pilgrims. So you have lots and lots of cousins. <laughs> I, yeah, there, but uh, but uh, there there were there were a number of them who uh, John Alden, uh, uh, who was famous for, for marrying Priscilla Mullins out from under uh, Miles Standish, uh, had had a very large family also. So they, those are groups where there there are lots and lots of descendants. Uh, we know that there are at least 10 million or so in the United States now, and it's thought that around the world there are a total of about 35 million uh, uh, pilgrim descendants. Most of them, of course, don't know it. <laughs> a lot of them don't care about that. <laughs> I, but they, I, but there, there are a huge number who, uh, who don't know it. I, in our organization, we have 30,000 people who have been able to produce records that demonstrate uh, the, the line uh, back, back to a, a pilgrim. To a Mayflower program. Okay, Rick. Well, George, uh, I'm curious. When uh, we uh, started talking, I was uh, trying to figure out what is the the organization, the Society of Mayflower Descendants. What do you do, and and uh, uh, how do you meet? How do you find descendants? Sure, sure. I uh, well, people uh, typically have family stories. Uh, and of course, these family stories uh, sometimes are true, uh, and sometimes they're 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 fantasy. But uh, people uh, people tend to come to us. Uh, uh, many of them, of course, have uh, have another family member as part of the organization, and, and they 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 join because they want to uh, to continue their, their their family tradition. But others find out uh, uh, through various ways, uh, various uh, genealogic uh, forums, and so forth that that, that they have that line. And uh, and they come to us and they say, hey, we'd like to join. If you were to, if if, uh, if somebody there wanted to join, we would refer them to the Iowa Mayflower Society, because uh, ah, if you're going to okay. participate in the organization, you you participate uh, in the state. Uh, or we we've recently uh, started an organization, a society in Australia. So in that case, it'd be the country where where you live. Uh, and, uh, and and you would uh, you would basically come up with the papers that uh, that, that would prove your your line, and uh, and we have a staff. Uh, well, actually, you'd have to prove it to the satisfaction of the folks in Iowa, and then they would forward that to, to Plymouth, and we have a, a staff in Plymouth that goes through uh, the, the the purported records and uh, goes through our records and then sees what uh, what if that's a valid line. And uh, we're George. right now proving about we're about we're proving about 400 lines a month right now. So so there are a lot of people doing this. 
Are there families of the Mayflower that said, yeah, you folks can go, we're going to stay in Holland? Was there any of that group that didn't follow them over, or did they all pretty much go? Uh, actually, the, the, the congregation split in about half. About half of okay. them came. Uh, so, so some others came over, but, uh, but uh, even at the end of all that, uh, there was still a fairly large group that was left in Holland. And you know what happened to them? They melted into Dutch society. But exactly what the, what the pilgrims were afraid of. The, those, those folks simply became uh, Dutch people. Uh, there was there was one family where the the, the husband came over, leaving his wife and uh, and children uh, in in Holland, and then he died during the first winter. Well, the wife and children saw no reason to uh, to come over. Uh, so there, as a, a population uh, who are Dutch people, really, uh, who uh, who uh, are descendants of a Mayflower pilgrim, who, uh, who who never came over to this country. George, my interest is. So when when these individuals land, obviously that had to be a terrifically challenging situation. Uh, as John mentioned, you don't quite know what to expect. In some cases, the animals aren't even familiar, for heaven's sakes, let alone anything else. Um, so how tight was this group, and, and when do we start seeing the group spread? Um, you know, because if you're going to create 30, 30 million descendants, you're going to have to spread out eventually. Yeah, yeah. Well, the group was not at all tight. And I think uh, I'm going to make my case that this is a relevant story. When the group arrived, they were heavily polarized uh, because you, they were not nearly where they were supposed to be. Uh, it, because of the storms and so forth, they were blown north off, off course. They really were supposed to be somewhere at New York or south in the vast area referred to as Northern Virginia, uh, and uh, they were clearly were not there. Uh, and many of the people arriving said, "Hey, we want to just go off on our own and start our own farms, uh, and uh, and we, we want to deal with the rest of you people." Uh, but they recognized that they were facing a vast howling wilderness, which is exactly what what, what they had. There was simply nobody there who was going to be their friend. Uh, and uh, and because it looked like the group was about to splutter, they actually sat down and and wrote out a document that uh, that required everybody to to participate in the community. Uh, it basically said everyone pledged to become what they called a civil body politic. The key word there is that you didn't have to be a part of the church. It was a civil body and uh, and not a theocracy. So so they uh, the, many of the people who uh, had come along for for the ride. I were, were part of the governance and, and so forth. Uh, I, that, and I think that today, in facing a, a polarized situation, we can learn from the example that the pilgrims, uh, the pilgrims established, of, uh, of bringing a group together and saying, "Hey, this is a this is a tough situation we're going into, and uh, and we need to we need to pull together." And, and the group, uh, even though half of them died in in the ship on that first winter, uh, the group uh, did hold together. At least for seven to ten years, there, there was a, a division of lands that happened about seven years out, and by about 1630, they begin to move to the other side of the bay, out onto Cape Cod, uh, and uh, north and around. Uh, and, and it's interesting, within about 25 to 30 years, there was hardly anybody left in Plymouth. Uh, everybody went for, for the better farmlands that were that were farther out and so forth. Uh, uh, but uh, but they they did. They did hold together for the necessary time to to establish the community. Okay, Terry. 
Yes, uh, George, I know that being the 400th anniversary, there were many planned uh, celebratory events. But of course, then in the age of COVID, how was all of that accommodated for this year? Oh, it was such a tragedy. The hardest thing I did during my three-year term as, as Governor General was to call off all of the events uh, uh, after mid-March. Uh, we had a, a huge commemoration. Uh, it was it was to have been a, uh, a three-way event uh, uh, because the Pilgrims originally landed in Provincetown. Uh, we were, and that's where they signed the compact and uh, and made their their landfall and so forth. We were going to have an event uh, in Provincetown. We were also going to uh, be in Pilgrim costume in in Boston to go see William Bradford's journal. It's in it's in a vault at the at the State House uh, in Massachusetts, uh, and of course we were going to spend a good deal of our time in Plymouth. The one activity that we did manage to pull off because it was scheduled right at the beginning of the year, on January first we had a a big uh, a big float in the in the Rose Parade, uh, and uh, it, it won the Americana Award. I, it was a, it was a, a wonderful a wonderful activity. Yeah, uh, although it's far from from the historical center of our of our activity, I we we canceled everything I, that that we that we had planned. That we we simply could not do it. We had our governance meeting by by Zoom. We 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 did the business that we needed to do, and uh, we'll be having another meeting next year in Plymouth. We're going to try to do many of the same activities that we would have done this year. Okay. Rick. Uh, George, you uh, mentioned a, an agreement when the, the uh, uh, Pilgrim slash uh, Saints uh, yeah. showed up. Uh, is that Are you referring to the Mayflower Compact? That, that's what, well, they never called it the Mayflower Compact. They just sort of called it the agreement. But, but yes, exactly. And, uh, yeah. and every, every male, because women women didn't have legal rights at that time. Uh, every male who was of age and who wasn't a servant uh, signed uh, signed it before they would let anyone off the boat. Uh, and uh, and and so it, it included both uh, the saints and the strangers. Uh, but but you had you had to be a man to sign that. Okay. okay. Did anybody get left on the boat because they didn't place. want to sign? Everybody, everybody did sign, and uh, okay. I, and actually, there were a couple of crew members who uh, who signed. Uh, I, uh, John Alden was didn't originally set out to uh, to be. Uh, to, to, to be he uh, he was uh, the barrel the, the barrel maker called a cooper uh, uh, among the crew, but he I guess decided to, during during the, the trip that he uh, he thought he would stay with these people. They were going to need a barrel maker too. Uh, and so, uh, so he stayed on, and became one of the valued members of, of their community. Uh, Terry, yes, George, with Thanksgiving just around the corner, about a month away, can you talk about sure. some of the misconceptions about the first Thanksgiving? Oh my! Well, uh, <laughs> that's another show. <laughs> that, that truly is a, is a is a whole another show. Uh, but sure, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. Uh, uh, there's no documentation that turkeys were served. They clearly served waterfowl, which probably means geese. Uh, I, and, and they, the, but the main meat was venison. Uh, and why was there venison? It was venison because the because the, the Native Americans, the local Wampanoag people, uh, showed up. 
one of the significant accomplishments of the first year was to forge a, a working agreement with the Wampanoags, uh, and uh, they agreed to look out for each other. Uh, so the pilgrims decided to have their, their day of thanks, and uh, a part of it involved shooting off firearms just to, just to celebrate the, the, the occasion. The, uh, the Native Americans uh, heard, the, heard the ruckus and thought, uh-oh, there's, there's something going on here, and, and showed up prepared to help defend, uh, defend the pilgrims, and, and they found it was a big party. So, so what do you do when that happens? The the the, uh, the Wampanoags went back home and brought in ninety of their people. Uh, so there were there were far more Native Americans at the first Thanksgiving than there were than there were Pilgrims, uh, and it was it was a three day festivity. So, and they probably didn't have they, they might they might have had cranberry, but I don't think they had pumpkin yet. Um, how um, what what days was the three day festivity taking place? Do they have that documented? No, it is not documented. Just after their harvest was gathered in, it probably, it probably lost it, but sometime in late October. But uh, but there's no documentation of exactly when. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Rick. Well, I want to go back to the Mayflower or the agreement. Uh, when when were were these uh, uh, this group? Uh, I would imagine they eventually got incorporated into the. Uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Uh, when did that happen, and did it go smoothly, or was there conflict? Uh, well, uh, things had changed so much by that time. Uh, I, I will tell you that uh, that uh, within a, a few years, the, the Pilgrims had a charter that that would have superseded the, the, the Mayflower Compact, uh, which is probably part of the reason why the original uh, the original copy of the Mayflower Compact has long been lost. Uh, that we, we nobody's ever seen the, the, the original on that. Uh, the uh, uh, so so, but by that point they they were an established community and they had uh, they had their traditions uh, set up. Uh, conditions the relationship between the the Pilgrims and the Wampanoags deteriorated uh, badly over the ensuing. Fifty years. The, the 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 original agreement with the Native Americans lasted uh, lasted about fifty five years, until uh, sixteen seventy five, when a terrible war broke out. It's called King Philip's War. King Philip was a yes. son of Massasoit, the, the great chief, uh, and uh, and it, per capita, it was the most deadly war in in American history, uh, I, in terms of the the percentage of people killed, I I and I. Plymouth was particularly heavy, heavily affected by that, uh, and was was impoverished by it. Uh, and when the when the charter came out that uh, that put Plymouth and and Boston really uh, together, that would have been 1691. That was some years later. There had been some some uh, some some difficulties in governance in, in Boston, uh, and uh, it was decided, I believe, by uh, King William of William and Mary. To, to put the two uh, the two colonies together, uh, it, it was it was there, there's no hostility, but uh, but uh, Plymouth always felt uh, like like a sort of a second fiddle. Uh, Boston was much bigger and and uh, was in, in a lot better financial shape, I, and, and there there was a little resentment, uh, but uh, I don't think there was there wasn't any any hostility about it. Okay, it is customary that we give our guests the last word on our show. So, George, why do you think that knowing about the voyage of the Mayflower is relevant in today's world? Well, primarily because of the compact. Uh, I've, I've sort of uh, gone into that. Uh, I think uh, we in our modern world 
have situations where people disagree and don't seem to be able to, to come together. And there simply are times when you have to pull together and uh, and share a common purpose or, or your society won't last. Okay. We will come back and wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 382nd show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapp Zavital. My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our guest, Dr. George Garmany, former Governor General of the General Society of Mayflower Descendants who talked with us about the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Terry Topler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.